The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Welcome to the Crude Life Podcast. I am your host, Jason Spies, the North Dakota Nomad, the Shale Play Prophet. We are broadcasting from the Hatch Coaching Studios. Our entitled intern, Provolone, is manning the production elements of the podcast. Joining us a little later in the program, we're going to have Ray Scott, Senate District 7, Mesa County, Grand Junction, Colorado, to talk to us about an article that was reported in the Grand Junction Daily Sentinel on the status of the industry. So Ray Scott, Senate District 7, up there in Mesa County, Grand Junction, is going to join us a little bit later on our Bakken Barbecue phone lines to talk about that article, explain how schools and social programs are very reliant on oil and gas tax revenue. I think I'm going to ask him about the East-West thing in North Dakota, where I'm from, my backyard we have an east-west thing where we've got an ag and energy and you know that sort of thing going on and it's been it's a hatfield mccoy interstate fight that's been going on since probably the state first came around because neither side really understands each other at all and in fact they've joked for a long time that they should have north and south dakota become east and west dakota draw a straight line through north and south dakota put one side on west another side on the east and be done with it it couldn't politically work or financially work that way but uh that, that that's to that extreme so i'm going to ask ray scott a little bit about that because back in my former life when i did uh the uh, magazine world when i was a publisher we had a magazine in greeley it was a home magazine and that was the first time i ever saw a stockyard filled with as many cows as the eye could see i mean i've gone through Sioux City, Iowa, where they've been pretty blank, and or they're not there anymore. West Fargo, they used to have a packing plant there as well, and you go down into Texas, and <laughs> you don't know if it's a stockyard or just some guy's hobby ranch down in Texas, so I just never really paid attention down there, because it is true, everything is bigger down in Texas. The mindset is bigger down there, because it's like Montana, when you have that much space to think, it really allows the mind to grow and everything. So, okay, we just got esoteric there uh, with our esoteric energy program. Let's get back on track here because Ray Scott is going to join us a little later in the program. Also, Terry Edom, give us an update as well to end the program. And let's see what else we have on today's menu. Provolone, our entitled intern, brought to us by Mama and Papa OGC Oil and Gas Company, who... Uh, Mama and Papa, they own a oil and gas company. Uh, Provolone's parents own a modest oil company. And they decided that uh, their son was majoring a little too much in entitlement at the university. So here at The Crude Life, we're going to put them to work and show them the value and the ethics that come behind. Because the ethics Provolone is really an important part because you really got to have passion with what you do. Because if you have passion with what you do, it is no longer your job. So that's what we're going to try to teach you because that's what's going on in the energy industry right now. We have a big cruise shift happening. There's a big cruise shift happening. And we're going to talk about that next week as well. 
with Ryan Alder from AE Partners about that because it is happening. 70% of the industry is going to be retired by 2022, 2023, depends on which interview and, and which person you talk to, but it's happening. And there's three generations, really. There's about 15, 20 years where the energy industry wasn't hiring a little bit, but not much. The 90s, they weren't hiring. It wasn't until mid-2000s when the $100 oil and the hiring boom came. So th there is a little bit of a uh, vetting process that's going on. So with this new social movement that's happening, that's why Provolone, our entitled intern, you're here to learn how the industry was built, how the respect that was put in with the land and the people and the industry and everything, the community that goes into that is, it is its own complex ecosystem that it's, it's a shame to see that there's people just get, trying to get rid of it with platitudes. So Provolone, we're gonna keep moving today because it's uh, my pretty much almost my Friday because tomorrow is our week in review. And I would like to get going. Ray Scott, he's in the middle of fighting the good fight in Colorado. I know he's in Denver today. He's, he lives out in the Grand Junction area, but he spends most of his time over on the east side of the state. So uh, let me know when he shows up as well. And then the champ's coming by, right? Johnny Green, did I hear that right? Johnny Green's gonna stop by because I saw he left a note on a 19... 96 <laughs> receipt from Ralph's. Oh, Johnny Green, man, does that guy recycle or what? In fact, let's let's give Johnny Green his due right now. So, folks, Johnny Green is the Earth's champion. We sponsored him last year and he went on and he won the Earth's championship belt and basically his his message was great. Cell phones are the number one polluter on the planet and he meant that both Climate-wise and in your mind-wise, because he's always got a little bit of a, a wordplay going, but uh, cell phones are the number one polluter on the planet. And number two, renewables ain't doable without fossil fuels. So we loved his message. He went on to win. He's going across the country, educating the planet on that. Every now and then he stops by the studio here and he leaves me these notes. So we have our Eco Watch with Johnny Green here. And uh, this one's about offshore wind may help the planet, but it will hurt whales. So uh, we have the link available at the Crude Life show page if you'd like to check it out. But it's a article about how the, there's noise pollution, folks, and wind turbines put off noise pollution. This noise pollution is generally on the lower side of things, kind of like how a dog whistle is on the high side of things. The wind turbines are on the lower side of things. And because it's on the lower side of things, they're starting to find out now that it is disrupting the whales migratory and their sensory, whatever that sonar, sonar, there we go. I don't, geez, I just tried to act smart there. But I think those are actual, I think that has to do with their migratory and it has to do with their reproductive, but it has to do with their communication. So I'm gonna read a little, uh, a little bit more into the article. Thank you, Johnny Green for that eco watch. Uh, Johnny Green is not a fan of wind farms, and uh, that's why I love him, because I'm not either. I, I think farmers are more, were more advanced 150 years ago getting water and powering a pole barn with a windmill than where we are today. Those windmills 150 years ago, you could reuse and reclaim. In fact, a lot of it's artwork now. Today's wind farms 
are turning Iowa, South Dakota, and Wyoming into a renewable dump zone, dump yard. So we're going to keep moving on here because I want to get to Ray Scott. I love talking to Ray Scott out there in Grand Junction, Colorado. Beautiful country up there. Rifle, Frutia. All, oh, I love that country up there. All kinds of state parks. So he's very knowledgeable when it comes to uh, state parks and comes to energy and it comes especially natural gas. But The music you're hearing on today's program is the Moody River Band. The links are available to download their music as well. Part of our Crude Life crossover as we continue to reach out and be social and extend our hand to those who do not work in the industry. This podcast, obviously, is for those who work in the industry, and we do radio programs for those who work in the industry as well. But we continue through our youth programs and through our crude life crossover, our music crossover, that sort of thing. Just little things to connect and engage in new ways. And like, like we say, will it work? No idea. But at least we're trying things. And at least we're trying things. So... Also, I do want to mention that we're going to get to headlines in just a moment or two, but our sponsor here today, oh, featured event first. Okay, so the featured event today is the Energy Industry Happy Hour happening in Denver, Tuesday, March 3rd from 4.30 to 7 p.m. I believe that's with the Denver Petroleum Club, if I'm not uh, mistaken. It is. The Denver Petroleum Club is having this event, and it is March 3rd. Third, it's on a Tuesday. It's an industry happy hour in Denver. Check it out with our links available at the Crude Life show page. Now, I do want to mention today's sponsor because we're gr- very grateful for our sponsors here at the Crude Life. And uh, in order to keep our lights on, we need great sponsors. And we then like to educate and inform and entertain the masses on how those lights continue to stay on. Because that is the important part. It does not come from a light switch. It comes from the people that are out working in the field every day and companies like Absolute Energy Field Products and Services. Absolute Energy Field Products and Services is an engineering design and manufacturer of oil and gas production equipment, refining, and petrochemical processing equipment. They manufacture the equipment with the highest standards as per ASME Boiler and Pressure Vessel Code Section 8, Division 1, and can be designed, fabricated, and tested in accordance with NACE standards. For more information, go to AbsoluteEnergyField.com or click on the Crude Life Podcast show page for links. Headlines coming up right around the corner, right, 30 seconds or so. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Podcast. Provolone, our entitled intern production manager here today, podcast supervisor, guru, Caesar, if you will. Provolone, you're in charge of the podcast. I'm in charge of the interviews. We've got headlines coming up next. Back in 30 seconds. The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Mind blown, you're mind blown, and that's all you need to know. 
Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies. I am your host. Provolone, our entitled intern, is manning the production elements as we sit here in the Hatch Coaching Studios. Ray Scott going to join us in just a bit on our Bach and Barbecue phone lines. But right now, it's time for headlines as we take a look at the headlines where we read the headline and then the first couple paragraphs and then we make our judgments and that's the final final and we move on with our life just like everybody else out there who gets their in fact most people just get the headline and then they move on so you can see how the first two paragraphs are also important either for information or framework or whatever it might be for the average person in today's world so headlines here today let's see this one comes from natural gas now oh tom shepstone did you know that Provolone? He's a, he's a regular on the program, and he does a great job over there. But uh, let's take a look at the headline here, naturalgasnow.org. Air quality is improving every day, so breathe a little easier, please. Breathe a little easier is part of our ongoing effort to explain the role that energy has played in improving humans' living standards over the past two centuries. This project examines trends in the air quality in the U.S. in order to push back at the doom and gloom narratives that dominate so much of our thinking about energy and the environment today. According to the Environmental Protection Agency, between 1970 and 2017, U.S. gross domestic product increased to 62%, 262%. Vehicle miles traveled increased 189%. Consumer uh, energy consumption increased 59%. And U.S. population increased by 44%. During the same period of time, total emissions of the six principal air pollutants dropped 73%. Okay, that's there you go, folks. The facts right there from the EPA. And it's amazing to me how that information does not even get out to the masses. And because what this is saying is industry has increased by what? I don't know, 262%. The gross domestic product has increased that much. Vehicle miles, almost 200%. Energy consumption, 60%. And the population, 45%. So what we're talking about there is everything's increased that should be polluting the heck out of our environment. But during the same period, total emissions of the six principal air pollutants dropped 73%. Humans have been decarbonizing for 150 years from hay to wood to whales to coal to crude oil to natural gas. We're down to one carbon molecule long before the sierra club showed up the energy evolution and adaption of humans has been going on great work tom shepstone over at the natural gas now i'm going to read the rest of this a little bit later because you do such fantastic work but that's the truth folks humans have been solving the carbon problem since the dawn of man since burning feces, dinosaur feces, or whatever you want to call it, to hay, to wood, to whales, to coal, to crude oil, to natural gas. And I imagine the next step is going to be some hydrogen-based technology, which we can discuss at a later date. We're going to look back at this whole green movement and laugh. Wind turbines out there talk about flaring, ruining the environment and the landscape at night. Look at the wind turbines. You ever drive at night? Look at all those blinking red dots out there. 
Get me going, provolone. All you got to do is slide in a win story. Gets my ire up. Okay, what do we got next here on headlines? Acadiana, job outlook evolving as oil and gas establishes new normal. There's the term, new normal. All right. If you think 2020 might be a banner year for Lafayette area jobs, temper your enthusiasm. That may be up for debate. Lauren C. Scott, well, excuse me, it's Dr. Lauren C. Scott. He is a regular on this Crude Life program, so he's a doctor, so he's earned it. I'm going to add that to the story since the reporter decided not to use it. Dr. Lauren C. Scott, professor in economics at LSU, forecast in a September presentation in Lafayette that the metro area, Acadia, Iberia, and Lafayette, St. Marin, and Vermilion parishes might prosper in the short term with 3,200 new jobs in 2020 and 4,000 jobs in 2021. He said an improved rig count in the Gulf of Mexico coupled with solid performances by seven big local companies would keep the area on the plus side for Louisiana jobs. So there we go, folks. The Lake Charles and Louisiana is going to be having some decent business over the next couple of years, pretty much powered by seven big companies. I mean, they've got a lot of activity down in that petrochemical area. Uh, Dr. Lauren C. Scott, we got to have him back on the program to talk a little bit more about this. But I love it when the crude life regulars just pop up in the news. So uh, this is coming to us from... The Acadiana Advocate. I hope I pronounced that correctly. I'm not familiar with that uh, part of Louisiana, so I do apologize. I'm sure I will get uh, an email. Yeah, I know it, Provolone. We've gotten a lot of emails, especially, by the way, speaking of emails, you mind if I slide in a headline here quickly? Because Meridian Energy Group, uh, they completed the, their environmental and social management plan, and we talked about this yesterday with Mr. J.B. Bendick. And basically, Meridian Energy did a environment and social management plan, and it's intended to reaffirm Meridian's commitment to the environmental and socially responsible development of its operation with the refinery out there in western North Dakota in the Bakken. But this is, by the way, this is where we're at now to where they have to do these environmental social plans and that's exactly what Joseph Bendick and I were talking about yesterday. So you want to know why they call me the shale play prophet, the North Dakota nomad? Because I travel all over the place talking to people at cafes and at rigs. And I'm, a, you know, when I did a story in the Keystone Pipeline, this is no lie. I went out to Baker, Montana, ground zero for the Keystone Pipeline. I was the second reporter in five years since all the big kerfuffle and all that stuff happened. The other one was from the Canadian Huffington Post. So all the stories done on the Keystone Pipeline and all those other things out there, I was the second reporter to actually go to Baker, Montana and interview the locals. That's the type of stuff we like to do at The Crude Life. That's where we like to get our real information. So that's how we can see things and read the tea leaves and kind of have discussions. Well, that's the other part too. We're not afraid to have discussions about things. So uh, let's throw that uh, Meridian link up on our website too. So that way people can go and take a look at it as well. And that is a Meridian Energy Group completes their environmental and social management plan. So good news for anybody investing in the uh, Davis refinery and looking at Meridian Energy Group. Okay. Our last headline here. And this comes from the New York Post. 
Here's precisely how long it takes to make a woman orgasm. Wait, women, they do that? Okay, let's see. Start the timer. A new study has revealed how long it takes the average straight woman to reach orgasm. The magic number, 13.46 minutes. Provolone, you are officially suspended for today. No talking. I was going to let you talk at the end of the program, but sliding a headline like that in is, um, I understand we're a podcast, but still, boy, you did that one on purpose. But at the same time, good for you, because that uh, I would have done the same thing. Folks, we're going to take a quick pause. We come back. Ray Scott, Senate District 7, Mesa County Grand Junction will be with us to respond to an article that appeared in the Grand Junction Daily Sentinel about the state of the industry. Also, I'd like to thank Absolute Energy Field Products and Services. They are a design, engineer, and manufacturer of oil and gas production equipment, refining, and petrochemical processing equipment. For more information, check out their website at absoluteenergyfield.com. That's absoluteenergyfield.com, or the links are available at the Crude Life podcast show page. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com. Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies, the North Dakota nomad, the shale play prophet. Thank you very much for the emails that came in on that, calling me that. We appreciate that very much. And like we said, one of the things that we've been talking about is what's happening in Colorado, mostly because it is a blueprint. We're starting to see it in other communities. And with the different angles they're coming at it, from the ozone to the setbacks to the different funds now they're trying to attack all kinds of different things the energy industry specifically the oil and gas is really like the governor has said it's a war on oil and gas so uh provolone is that your facebook messenger that i'm hearing going off there well okay why don't we go ahead and put ray scott through uh senator ray scott from district 7 out in mesa county out in grand junction colorado on our Bakken barbecue phone line. So, uh, Senator Ray Scott, if we could just have you give, you a, give us a mic level real quick, and then we'll get started in the interview. Senator Ray Scott from Grand Junction, Colorado. Excellent. Thank you for joining the program here today. Grand Junction, one of my favorite parts of Colorado. Love it up in that area, that rifle area. You get up in that, boy, a lot of national parks up there. So, very, oh, yeah, it's a great place. Yeah, very right. blessed to have you on the program today to talk a little bit about, you know, there's energy development up there, too, and that wasn't even the lead-in with the national parks, but I suppose that should probably be brought up, too, in this interview. <laughs> but uh, let, let's start off with just a little bit of an update, and I'm responding to, by the way, thank you for coming on the program, uh, Senator Scott, sure. but um, I, I sent you an article coming out of your newspaper, the Grand Junction newspaper, mm-hmm. that just kind of gave an overview about uh oil and gas activity and i just wanted to get it from your 
perspective. You talk to a lot of industry out there. You talk talk to a lot of people out there. What are you hearing out in the street, and do you disagree or agree with some of the things in that article? Well, you know, I think a, a lot of what was in the article was, <clears throat> excuse me, was, uh, you know, you want, you want to keep a positive attitude about these things, right? Uh, it's not as rosy as what I think a lot of people might think it's going to be in the future. Um, my big concern is, is the industry retracts uh, what's going to happen with our severance tax, for example. Right now, all told in Colorado, we bring in about $31 billion a year from oil and gas activities. And that includes severance tax, revenues for everything from hotels to restaurants to everything else. As that starts to dwindle, how do you backfill that? How do you, how do you backfill $31 billion in revenue uh, if Governor Polis is successful in moving the industry out of the state of Colorado? And that's also about 225,000 jobs. We've already seen about a 30% cut in jobs here in Colorado on the oil and gas industry uh, with no end in sight for, uh, for, that, for that change in jobs out here. Uh, yes, it is very concerning. There are some things that are glimmers of hope, if you will, because as you've probably looked at, eastern Colorado is predominantly oil production. Western Colorado is predominantly natural gas production. So we have the pipeline networks. As I heard in a, in a conference up in Anchorage, Alaska this, this past fall, you know, we understand in this industry that the, the resource isn't the problem. The technology is not the problem. <clears throat> the politics are the problem. And we see that all over the country with pipeline issues. Uh, we see it, of course, in Colorado with environmental issues. So it makes it very difficult to, to work in those, those fields. But hopefully uh, we're able to make some deals with, you know, right now they're working on an export terminal in Baja, California. There's one up in north of Vancouver. And, of course, we have the Jordan Cove project. We need to get that resource out of the Piance Basin to the markets that need it and want it and will help us globally, not only from a, from a uh, economic you know, policy type side, but you know, it helps human beings do what they do. And it also can help China get off of more coal, for an example. And th- those are all good things. There's all positive things that we can do. But you've got to have a political atmosphere that will let you do that. And right now we don't. Ray Scott, our guest, talking about some of the issues happening in Colorado where they're ramping up once again uh, some of the regulations and setbacks when it comes to oil and gas. Uh, you mentioned the taxes. By the way, uh, for those joining us, the article I'm, I'm reference, references, referencing excuse me, is from the Grand Junction Daily Sentinel entitled the, titled, The County is Cautiously Optimistic About the economy but oil and gas slowdown and regulations are a concern and for anybody who's been following colorado that's a very you know that's that says basically what's been happening over the past year but you brought up the tax revenue and to me that is one of the things that i would think a lot more uh leaders uh like yourself politicians uh industry leaders would be coming forward and really trying to hammer that home to the um Oh, I don't know, educational lead. You know what I mean by that? To where in North, in North Dakota, for example, 55% of our state budget is allocated to the oil and gas production and extraction tax. And actually, 
If you look at like vehicle registrations and some of those secondary taxes, some argue it's close to 65% of our state budget comes from oil and tax. And you understand the, 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 what I'm getting at, yeah. Well, and I can recall a, a short meeting I was involved with with your past governor, Dalrymple. Did I say that right? You did. Ja uh, governor Jack Dalrymple, yep. Yeah. Well, you know, we had Hickenlooper, so Dalrymple, I mean, good grief. It was a little tricky to say either one of those names. Right. <laughs> uh, I remember him telling me that, that, that North Dakota had a real big problem. It's called a billion-dollar reserve. <laughs> so I was just like, gee, thanks for that, you know? Well, and, it, and it's a good problem to have, but at the same time, it's kind of like that problem Wyoming has where they don't really even have a Democratic legislator, so even the dumb ideas get through way too fast, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> sometimes, you know, you can have, the good problems they have can turn into real problems, so. Oh, yeah, well, money's the root of all evil, right? Right, exactly, yeah, but so, but uh, when it comes to, like, some of the educational side of things and, you know, the actual so, uh, social programs, does that ever come up in any of these public hearings, any of these types of things, or do they just assume that it, it's going to get replaced by the taxpayers? Well, I'll tell you what, that, that narrative is, has been used a lot in Colorado. It's, uh, you know, a lot of people's eyes glass over when you start to talk about that. And as you know, I think, you know, a typical voter, a typical person out there in, in our country we don't notice something until it hits us in our wallet, right? All of a sudden, our utility bill is doubled, or our car payment doubled, or insurance goes up. You know, the things that smack you in the wallet, and you go, whoa, what just happened? And sadly enough, I think that's going to have to happen to people in Colorado. They're, they're going to have to feel the pain and then say, well, what went wrong? What's, what's going on? Because you, you and I both know most people aren't paying attention to politics. You know, the national scene takes all the air out of the room. So people are, you know, you turn on the news and they're talking about New Hampshire and Iowa and, you know, all these other things are going on. And uh, these kind of problems sneak up behind you and, and, and catch you off guard. And I'm, I'm very concerned that that's what's going to happen here in Colorado. Maybe sooner than later, people are going to get smacked in the wallet, realize that, well, wait a minute, how come the school can't hire new teachers or we can't build the bridge or the sewer plant can't be updated? And then, then start to understand that severance taxes was paying for that. And without those severance taxes, there's, how do you backfill that unless you tax the general public in some fashion or form uh, to recover those kind of funding? Uh, and, and I think that's when people will really wake up. And I, and I do hope that happens sooner than later. I think you're probably going to be right on that. There's going to be a little bit of tough love before people understand what the term everyday energy really means. And, oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, and when we say everyday energy, you know, we're talking about toothpaste, prosthetics, the plastic that goes over syringes at the hospital. I mean, we're talking about all kinds of things that I agree. You know, it's it's really funny when the average person will have no problem saying, let's get rid of fossil fuels, but won't sure. go won't go 30 minutes without their cell phone. Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, it's, it's those things that we take for granted, right? We just take all those things for granted. I think the last I looked, there was something like, 6,800 products that we use on a daily basis that are derived from fossil fuel. And, and this is where, this is what concerns me is that, you know, that, that narrative that we, like you said, that narrative that we've done and is not working. 
And it just, it seems like they, it, it, you can hand them a study and they look at it like it's a turd sandwich. You can tell them, <laughs> you, you know, you, you can tell them that, you know, that toothpaste and toothbrushes and hygiene is reliant on fossil fuels and they'll, they, they won't care. And, you know, so it's almost like you're talking to a brick wall. So I, I go back to, I wonder how we can figure out a way to connect with some of these people. And I was looking at yesterday, there was a protest in Boulder, Colorado. Were you familiar with that about the, um, it was at NEPA, N-E-P-A, NEPA, NEPA? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they have a protest every day in Boulder, so I mean, just yeah, add it to the list, right? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and and that really does bring me to the question, you know, for people who are interested in supporting industry in Colorado, um, you know, I've seen posts on social media that uh, the people in charge of the protests are already tired, and we haven't even gotten into the political season yet. You know, it's no, like no, no. so. So, well, what 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 advice do you give to people to get out there and be active and either support? You know, I mean, you, you've been in this a long time, and, and, and what we're in the midst of is a political campaign, but it's with a social cause. And so well, it's, it's very similar. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think we don't have to look far uh, to find a solution. I think uh, the, the opposition's playbook has become fascinating to me. Um, as we've noticed, they've now brought in young people. So they're infiltrating our school system with the knowledge that they want to spread or the message they want to spread. Uh, the, the Greta Thornburgs of the world. Uh, there was a protest here not long ago where they had re- let kids get out of school to come uh, protest climate change here at the Capitol. I remember looking out the window and I saw children that weren't old enough to understand that they were, you know, somebody had probably told them we're going to Dairy Queen, handed them a sign that said climate change kills kids and they wander around the Capitol with it. They, they're too young to understand the issue, right? Uh, and that is a dangerous, dangerous thing for our society as a, as a, as a whole, I think, to, you know, for schools to allow those things to be taking place. Uh, but they've infiltrated the, the education system so much. Uh, I get calls all the time from constituents saying, hey, my kid was just told he had to take this test. It's not a state-sanctioned test or an education or a, a, a district-sanctioned test. It's something a teacher came up with off of some website that talks about how bad fossil fuel is. And, that, and those things are very disturbing. And uh, so, you know, the, the problem is I think, you know, the industry with a, a consistent message that they pushed out there, and I'm not saying they did a bad job, but they never changed their message and they never moved off of dead center. And, you know, the opposition behind them was, was smart enough to understand they had to infiltrate from the school districts, you know, all the way up to the elected officials level. And they've done a masterful job of that, quite frankly. And we've got some catching up to do. Ray Scott is with us. State Senator out of the Grand Junction. What district again? It's uh, Senate District 7. It's called Grand Junction, Colorado, Mesa County, Colorado. That's where I'm from. And, and primarily a natural gas development area. Okay. And... The reason we have on the program is talk about some of the things going on in Colorado because that's kind of ground zero for a lot of the Colorado blueprint and the environmental blueprint. I mean, they, they used it in California. They've used it in New York, but it's really got whole new legs in, in Colorado. And, you know, we're seeing some rumblings in other states, so we appreciate Senator Scott coming on here to talk about it. The other reason why is um, I've been pretty critical on the program to – industry leaders and politicians who are elected leaders about 
this allowing of children to be used in protests. So I'm very glad yeah. that you brought this up because this is something where I've been, I, I've been following this for a number of years. And when they started bringing in children, I was getting a little bit more upset. I'm a single father. I was a stay-at-home, stay-at-home dad. I, haven't, I, I hug and kiss my son every, every day before he goes to school. He's 13. He still allows me to. I, I haven't missed a basketball game. So I'm very involved with my kid's life. And so when I see children being used at protests, like you said, they're just going to it. And then afterwards, the parents are taking them out to pizza like it's a, like it's a basketball game. That, that concerns me. And just to go one more before I let you respond to that, uh, when Time Magazine anointed Greta Thunberg as Time's Person of the Year, that allowed existential fear to be cool in children. And that is a very dangerous combination when you've got parents looking for the next Aaron Brockovich against oil and gas and existential fear in children being cool. That's a dangerous mix, Senator. Oh, I, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, parents really need to start paying attention. I mean, they, you know, you want your children to learn something in school. I, you know, I get that, you know, climate change is something that a lot of people would suggest that, yes, my children do need to understand that, but they need to understand both sides of the equation, right? You can't just allow educators just to talk about what they believe, their, their ideology, uh, and not the other side. They, we, we need to work on getting, a, you know, some curriculum put together, you know, call it a STEM system or whatever you want to call it, where we're getting, you know, balanced information to these children so when they become adults, they can make informed decisions, not just be indoctrinated into one side of the argument. And, I, and obviously, we've seen that nationwide with, you know, the, the colleges allowing the protests that have been going on in some cases. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, but I, I can remember a little bit when I was a kid. Uh, if somebody would have told me, you're going to die in 12 years if we don't fix X, Y, Z. I, what a terrible thing to say to a child, right? But some people believe that's okay. I don't agree with that, quite frankly. I think it's a terrible thing to do to a kid uh, because who knows what might set off in their, their little minds. They, they're still they're still learning how to read, write, and doing arithmetic. You know, my well, gosh, to tell them something like that is terrible. And, and you know this as a lawmaker. In other industries and in other areas, there are laws that prevent that type of predatory behavior. Uh, oh, it, absolutely. It, it absolutely. just it just we haven't defined the laws in those areas yet. No, no, and yeah. unfortunately, you know that's the kind of stuff that we get stuck with at, at, the, at the state levels or the federal level of trying to correct that kind of thing, and uh, it's it's very unfortunate that, that that's allowed to continue. So let's let's bring her home here to Colorado, where you're representing and fighting the good fight out there. And I appreciate you coming on the program because we like to try to support the industry any way we can. And part of that is just getting the information out there to the masses, letting them know how to engage, letting them know what some of the issues are, which we've done today. But how can people help? How can people get involved? You're in Colorado, where, like I say, that's like ground zero these days for the political oil and gas activity. And 
um, you know, wh whether it's your campaign or whether it's, uh, you know, the local campaign, just, you know, you guys have got an explanation on how to get people revved up and ready to go. Because here at The Crude Life, our motto actually for 2020 is ready for anything because it's a political <laughs> year. They're using children yeah, yeah. And, the, and we haven't even started the year hardly. So, I mean, I know, I know. It's, 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 it's frustrating. So what, 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 what should people be looking for and how can they help? Well, one of the things, I, there's two things I can think of right off the top of my head. Number one, we just talked about a little bit. I would get involved in your school's curriculum. And, and if a school district is letting, allowing things to happen, as we just discussed, get in their face now. Do not allow a non-balanced discussion for your children. That's incredibly dangerous. And it doesn't have, we're not just talking our issue of oil and gas. That could be on multiple issues. Number two, I would really take a look at your state legislators and, and, and talk to them about separation of powers. One thing we've noticed here in Colorado, uh, Jared Polis was very crafty. He came out of the Obama administration as a congressman. He learned from Obama on how to allow regulatory agencies to run your government. So what, what they did in Colorado this last year is they gave additional authority to all these different state agencies, whether it's Department of Health, Department of Revenue, Department you know, Oil and Gas, in our case, called the Colorado Oil and Gas Conservation Commission. They gave them all this new authority. And by doing that, the governor can sit back with no fingerprints on anything and allow the agencies to push his agenda. And now we already know, and most of your listeners probably know, Jared Polis is a Green New Deal guy. So he's, he's having that agenda pushed out into all of his agencies, and they're forcing new regulations on oil and gas, on air quality, water, anything you can imagine that affects the Green New Deal. We have a bill coming up that I think we hear tomorrow where building products to build a home will have to have a carbon footprint analysis before it can be used. Uh, we've got bills coming to do things like not allowing natural gas to be connected to new construction of a home. We have biodiesel, which is not terrible, but at the same time, it's problematic because it's only made in Iowa and I happen to live in Colorado. There's just there's level after level after level of state agencies that are infiltrating the separation of powers. So a governor can very easily go to his side of the aisle in the legislature and say, this is my agenda, this is what I want you to push, and my agencies are going to do that. And then force them to make those changes. That's not what our founders believed in. There has to be a separation of powers. And if you see any cracks in that in your particular state, get involved. Go talk to your legislators. Go after the governor. Make sure that there's separation of powers. Because if we, if we don't, we're going to have a collapse of our republic at the state level. And that, that, that is frightening and beyond belief. That's a great way to spell that out. I've been trying to put my finger on it. And I and somebody asked me the other day, you know, what, what what's the root of what's going on in Colorado? And I said, you know, it almost seems like they're using local control in the way it was not supposed to be like the evil version of local control. Like <laughs> it, right. it, it, it did. It almost seemed like they're because really at the end of the day, it, it is some out of state interests that are funding a small handful of people on a local level. And sure. because they're funded, it's their full-time job. And, sure. and if they have a full-time job and it's a passion, yeah, they got time to do it. Everyone else is working two, three jobs. 
So oh, yeah. they, they don't have time to do a lot of this different stuff. So I'm glad that you're able to articulate it like that because I've been trying to figure it out how to come up with the right way to phrase that. And like I said, all I could think of, it's like the reverse of local control. It's like a national yes. person came in, selected one local person and just, you know, made oh, yeah. it happen yeah. through that. But anyway, that's. Well, and as you've seen in Colorado, what they've done is said, well, you have local control, but then they put the regulations in place at the state level and you can, you can do something worse than the state is doing, but you certainly can't ease the pressure by saying, well, no, 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 we're not going to do what the state says to do. They made it illegal to do that. So well, there is no local control. And, and in no- North Dakota does something very similar to that, where you, you pay the local taxes to the state and then the state reimburses what they think they should give you. Sure. Oh, yeah. We do the same thing. Yeah, and and so yeah. then then the, then the oil towns they had to get together during the last session and come up with the, I think a third or fourth attempt to try to get some money, you know, because they're paying sixty five percent of the state taxes and getting back about two percent because you know because <laughs> they're like you guys out in western western uh, oh, Colorado, yeah. you know. I mean, what? Do you, yeah. I, I don't know what the population is, but I would imagine the population is very heavily on the east side of the state in Colorado. Oh, yeah. You could pretty much fit North Dakota's entire population in a suburb of Denver. That's what I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, and this is actually yeah. a true story. In North Dakota, um, on the east side, there's no oil and gas activity. I mean, it's literally five hours from the nearest well. And there's uh-huh. there's not a bad land. It's all flat. It's all ag. It's very much like um, east of Greeley, okay? So it's, it's very flat, very ag. And um, all the population is there. So the, the, the colleges are on the east side of the state. So when people talk about the growth in western North Dakota, the growth for every person in Watford City, for example, seven more popped up on the east side of the state because of the colleges. So you're talking about a Boulder, Colorado situation in Fargo. The kids have already went before the city council and demanded a climate emergency. Grand For Oh, yeah. So if you go about... 25 miles, I don't know, east of Fargo, draw a straight line from the Canadian border down to South Dakota. That's probably 65% of the population right there. So, oh, yeah, that's, 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 the, that's kind of what's happening all over the country. The, the population centers are the, the problem child. Right. I mean, that's where the problems are. Well, yeah, because you have, you, it's, it's the old city people telling rural people how to live. And yeah, it doesn't exactly. work out like that all the time. For some reason, moving to a city, apparently, you know, you have to check your common sense at the city, you know, the city border, right? Yeah. It just, it just goes away. I don't know why, but it's it's a it, rural rural thought process is so much different than city process. It's just amazing. Well, I apologize for keeping you longer here. I kind of sidebarred into new into new issues, similar states type of thing, <laughs> which is the population centers and 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 jurisdictions and things like that. New topic for a different day, but but all that all that is is very much part of the how the system works. But uh, Ray Scott, I appreciate your time today. You're very welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time and uh, spread the word, man. We need all the help we can get. To listen to the full length interview, visit thecrudelife.com.
historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Well, I was two years old when John Lennon died. Well, I was 23 when George said goodbye. Okay, this is today's episode of the Crude Life Podcast. Thank you very much, folks, for tuning in and joining us. Senator Ray Scott, Senate District 7 in Mesa County. Thank you very much for joining us. Terry Edom, right around the corner here, going to give us an update and react to CNBC's Mad Money host, Jim Cramer's claim that oil and gas is the new tobacco industry. So Terry Edom, the man, the myth, the legend, the author, the writer, the blogger, coming up in just a moment or two. Provolone, thank you very much for today's podcast production. I was going to say production, and then I said podcast, so podcast. If I ever say podcast in the future, that means production and podcast together. Sometimes, I don't have time sometimes to say two words, so I just say one. You see how I'm never wrong, Provolone? That's something that you're going to have to get used to from time to time in the real world because sometimes people in power were never wrong, just... Just ask us. Okay, all right. Folks, also, Provolone, thank you very much for doing headlines and the production work today. Uh, Tomorrow is our week in review, so you'll be busy later putting that together. Sponsor, thank you very much for allowing us to keep our lights on and educate, inform, and entertain the folks on how those lights get kept put on. See, Provolone, that's how we entertain here. Sometimes we stumble and we just keep moving on like it didn't happen. But the light switch does not power by flicking on. It is hard-working men and women out in the field, out in the offices, driving around, sacrificing companies like Absolute Energy Field Products and Services that keep our lights on. Absolute Energy Field Products and Services is an engineering, design, and manufacturer of oil and gas production equipment, refining, and petrochemical processing equipment. They manufacture the equipment with the highest standards as per ASME, Boiler and Pressure Vessel Code, Section 8, Division 1, and it can be designed, fabricated, and tested in accordance with NACE standards. That's Absolute Energy Field Products and Services. Thank you for being a sponsor of the crude life and the crude life podcast folks if you'd like to sponsor email jason at the crude also the moody river band is the music that you're hearing today so if you'd like to download the moody river band and their music go to the crude click on our show page we have the links available there as well if you have some music some musicians singer songwriters that sort of things part of our crude life music crossover is to reach out and help and leverage strengths in different industries and different interests. And the crude life would much rather have musicians promoting the oil and gas industry by sharing and liking and talking about these programs because their music is a part of it, as opposed to protesting against the oil and gas industry. So this is just our way of trying something new to reach out to the youth to reach out to those who do not work in the industry every single day. 
Also, our studio sponsor, Hatch Coaching. Thank you very much. Phone line sponsor, Bach and Barbecue. Ray Scott, once again, I appreciate it coming on and fighting the good fight out in Colorado. Terry Edom, the man, the myth, the author, the blogger and writer right around the corner. Thank you very much, folks, for tuning in to the Crude Life podcast. We understand there's a million places to get your podcast and your information. Mario Lopez from Saved by the Bell has one. I mean, Ron Burgundy, the fictional character from Anchorman, has a podcast. My Neighbor's Cat has a podcast. My Neighbor's Cat's Pet Toy has a podcast. So if you're listening to this, thank you. We appreciate it very much here at The Crude Life. So if you'd like a topic or know of a guest or have some comments, feel free to leave it on our social media. Email me directly, jason at thecrudelife.com, or just let your friends know. From the staff here at The Crude Life Podcast, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is The Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Terry Edom. He's an energy writer for the BOE Report, a blogger for Public Energy Number 1, and the author of the book, The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. In just a moment, we talk with Mr. Terry Edom about what it's like trying to transition to a green energy grid, which Germany has been trying to do for about a decade, as many communities blindly accept a green environmental grid policy without knowing the ramifications or the science, the poster child for green energy is starting to show going green is not as easy as everyone says it is. This is Terry Edom, energy writer and expert. It's entirely created by regulation. It's a problem of their own making. Well, Germany is so ironic as a poster child. They had a lot of power from nuclear, which is as green as it gets. I mean, some people don't like the waste, but you can't deny that the power generated by nuclear is clean. And for whatever reason, they decided to get rid of nuclear. They panicked and and said, we have to close all our nuclear plants. Then this is where the ignorance part comes in. And then the people that had the politicians ears said, well, let's just go to wind and solar. That's how you replace uh, nuclear. And, oh, yeah, there's that dirty old coal in the background, but we'll get rid of that, too. And as it turns out, well, it's not so easy. They still get a quarter, I think, from coal. And they've gone full on into this wind and solar push. The the costs skyrocket for the average citizen. The reliability of the grid goes down because now you're dependent on an intermittent source, which you can't count on. And you still need a backup supply of reliable power. And and the the costs of... um, There's... Very few articles that seem to make the news internationally, especially about the actual cost that people face and, and this energy poverty uh, yardstick here. That's just fascinating. The percentage of people that, that spend, I uh, forget what, the, a significant component of their income on power, uh, it, it's huge across the states. Some of those are poor EU countries. Uh, you mentioned it's coming to Canada. It's kind of ironic because in Ontario, our biggest province here, which is mainly a manufacturing place, but it's a huge, or their economy is manufacturing based, but they had a green government come in about uh, 10 years ago or so, and they um, decided to go all green too. And the uh, I, I found another article talking about how the uproar that happened there, people's bills, electrical bills doubled. Some of the rural areas, uh, some places were seeing their electricity bills at a thousand dollars a month and and that was go- that was gone up like fivefold from what it had been before and that's thanks to going to to go to uh, green energy and and ontario is blessed with uh, tons of hydroelectric power they've got dams and and a lot of that but 
but the, the European thing is so stark that this is what happens when you try and push it ahead without understanding all the second and third order consequences. To listen to the full-length interview with Terry Edom, writer for the BOE Report, blogger for Public Energy Number no. 1, and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to check out our social media pages from the YouTubes to the Twitters, even the Facebooks. We even have a LinkedIn, folks. Go to thecrudelife.com, click on the social media tab. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday, with a week in review on Friday.